So, Father, we come to your word and we ask you in the name of Jesus that you would teach us about this incredible prayer in John 17. Teach us this incredible prayer in John 17. Thank you, Jenny. (laughs) I got to turn that text down. So, Lord, just open your word tonight to us in the mighty name of Jesus. And we bless you. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for just how it can speak to us like no other word, like no other book, like no other voice. And so I ask for encouragement to go out through Facebook and even through this recording. I pray you'd get out to those it needs to get to, to minister to their heart. I pray that there would be a grace for those who are tuning in via technology right now. And I pray for your church. I pray for the global church who is navigating these technology meetings and church gatherings and discipleship groups. Lord, we pray for much fruitfulness to come from it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's first of all read John 17, verses 1 through 8. This is part one of the prayer of prayers. I'm going to explain what I mean by that in a minute. Part one of the prayer of prayers. We're going to cover the first eight verses here. So let me, let me read them. And again, this is a prayer that Jesus prays. So he's, he's saying all of this to his Father in heaven. It says, John 17, 1 through 8, Jesus spoke these words, which is a reference to what he just said in John 14, 15, and 16. All of those chapters we went through the last three weeks, and they're on the website if you want to listen to those. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, so he's with all of his disciples, and he just looks up to heaven where his Father is, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. John 17, 1 through 8, that was the New King James Version. So let's go through seven introductory comments for the whole series. These are just kind of higher level thoughts on the chapter. And then I want to get into some themes Jesus touches on. By the way, these notes are available right now on our website if you want to download them as I go through them, gphop.org slash teachings. 
There, it's there right now, so I'm just going to go seven introductory points and then seven significant themes that Jesus touches on as he prays. So introductory comment number one, this mini-series that I'm going to do for three to four weeks is a continuation, like I said, of the last three weeks of my teachings called Loving Jesus, John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus in John 14 says, this is how you love me, you obey my commands. He builds on that in chapter 15, and then in chapter 16, he says, this is ultimately all about friendship. I want you to obey so that you can experience certain things about me so that we can be close friends and so that you can walk with me like men like Abraham or David or Paul or John, who's writing this gospel, walked with me. That's his heart. So this is a continuation. It's not like a totally different, you know, veering off into some other direction. This is him concluding those three chapters that we looked at the last three weeks. Number two, this is Jesus' longest recorded prayer. There are many scriptures that, that, you know, say something like Jesus stayed up all night and prayed, or Jesus went over here and prayed, but there's not a lot of actual recorded scripture of what he said. And so this chapter is not only, you know, saying he's praying, but it's saying exactly what he said, which is, Incredible. We see glimpses of Jesus' actual prayers, the words he says. Uh, there's other ones in like John eleven, forty one to forty two. We see him thank his father in heaven for uh, what he's about to do in Lazarus' life. But this is the lengthiest uh, of, of recorded scriptures that Jesus prays. Number three, this is the longest recorded prayer in the entire New Testament. And it's one of the longest in the entire Bible. So we get in John 17, we get 26 verses. What what I like to say is God praying to God. The second person of the Trinity praying to the first person of the Trinity. The Son, Jesus, praying to the Father in heaven And the incredible and beautiful mystery is that they are one, yet expressed as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. But we know it's not three gods. It's one God, three persons. And that's that's really significant to understand. But it's the second person of the Trinity on earth praying to the first person of the Trinity. It's just incredible. Uh, the longest prayer in the Bible is Nehemiah chapter 9. The second longest, I believe, actually maybe Jesus' prayer is second. I, I have to study this out, but Nehemiah's is up there, Daniel's up there in Daniel 9, and Jesus' is way up there as well. I think Nehemiah is the one that beats Jesus's. Number four, this is a public prayer. Uh, he, he wasn't necessarily on a street corner, but there were other people in the room who were hearing these words. Otherwise, John would not have known what to write down. And so that's significant because, you know, Jesus did emphasize private prayer, but he also emphasized public prayer. And so we can't just throw one or the other out. We do both. You know, Jesus did say, go to your prayer closet and shut the door. 
But he also many times uh, prayed with his disciples in a group, a small group, or with a larger group of disciples, or just prayed publicly. It's all biblical. The thing that Jesus was warning about in his uh, admonition to go into our room and pray was to to overcome that that desire to be showy. And I just think, wow, God is putting so much of the body of Christ in an empty room right now. <laughs> he wants us to learn how to pray. Because the, the fact is that Christianity is not just a thing we do on a stage once or twice a week. It's what we do in secret is absolutely critical. And so we have to learn that, and he seems to be emphasizing that right now is Doing the stuff when no one else is looking. Having the integrity and the prayer life and the the sanctification when no one else sees. So it's a public prayer. And he's kind of saying a closing prayer to his sermon on John 14 to 16. Uh, Verse 1 basically indicates that. It says Jesus spoke these words in reference to the previous chapters. And then he prays. He lifts, lifts his eyes and prays. And I wrote here in number 4. that this prayer could be looked at as a deeper look into his heart as he more fully expresses the friendship he wants to have with his disciples. It's like he says, I taught all of this, but now I'm going to say something so important, I'm not going to teach it, I'm going to pray it to my Father, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to know how valuable this information is. Again, I could teach it to you, but it's so important, I'm going to pray it, and you're going you're gonna to go, whoa, that was, something was there. I need to put that in my prayer life, and that's the point. It was so important, he didn't teach it, he prayed it. Cannot underscore that enough. He opens the deeper place of his heart and begins to communicate with his Father in heaven, and they get to hear what it's like when God prays to God. Unbelievable. There are scholars and theologians who've written, I I saw one today who's written, I believe it's 45 books on John 17 alone. Uh, 450 pages, I believe, uh, just one person. This chapter has been studied and prayed over and poured over, and so this is just all the tip of the iceberg. Okay, did I cover enough there in number four? Number five, the first words Jesus says in this prayer, this lengthiest prayer, is the word Father. He kept with his own instruction in Matthew 6, 9, when he said to his disciples, the disciples want to know how to pray, and so he said, here's a prayer you can use. You know, he didn't mean say it exactly like this every single time, but here are some, in essence, bullet points for you to lead you into prayer and to talk to me and kind of come over here, come over there, but, but really good bullet points. And when he taught his disciples how to pray, the first thing he said was, Our Father in heaven. So he, he keeps with that and he says, Father. And he opens his heart and begins to pray. Jesus lived with this holy obsession with his Father. And we'll see why in a moment. But his concept of God was obviously the most correct. 
But he didn't just view God as some generic being that ruled the world. He knew that that powerful being in the sky was a dad, his own father and our father if we're in Christ. And so he taught his disciples this concept of when you're praying, I mean, we can pray to Jesus, we can pray to the Holy Spirit, we can pray to the Father, they're all God, but Jesus did a number of times say, when you pray, it's your Father, you have to know that. So he has this holy obsession with the Father, in fact, there was this friendship between the Father, Son, and Spirit for eternity past. I mean, I just, that's such a weighty eternity past. There was a relationship in the Trinity that was so profound, it's unknowable right now. But that relationship that Jesus had with his Father, he thought about that in, in a way that we, it's, I don't know how much we can really describe it because it's just beyond our knowledge, but that obsession that Jesus had with his father, that provoked him to live a life of sinless obedience. I mean, that's just profound. Excuse me. Now, we know Jesus fully God, fully man. So he fully embraced the human experience. But he developed a relationship with his father that was so deep that it moved him to obey at the highest level, to never sin, and to lay his life down by dying on the cross for us. Incredible. Let's go to number six. It's important to understand this, that Jesus is not giving the father new information. Jesus is like, Father, there's things I need you to know. Jesus opens his heart and he prays and he's, he's pouring out his heart as he uh, prays for, uh, he actually prays for himself and then he prays for his disciples and then future disciples. But it wasn't like he was trying to inform his father. He knew it was happening. It was mostly he's pouring out his heart, yes, but he wanted his disciples to hear the content so that they would begin to get that in their theology. Because he was about to open up some serious knowledge and he he was in essence praying and also informing his disciples how they would be praying he wanted them to take this prayer into their own prayer times now there's we can pray the whole bible any verse just talk to the lord about it but the actual prayers in the bible those are very significant because they're biblical prayers they are inspired by the Holy Spirit because the Bible is inspired by the Spirit. And so when we pray a prayer that's already in the Bible, we know God wants to answer it. Now, he wants to answer, you know, to bring money and to provide clothes and so many things he wants to answer that are not necessarily written word by word in the Bible. We don't want to get legalistic about that. But when a prayer is explicitly in the Bible, those are God-sanctioned prayers that he wants to answer and when there's a prayer where God himself is praying, it's like the highest echelon. The Lord certainly, it's like the truly, truly, what Jesus would say sometimes, truly, truly, Jesus wants to answer this prayer because he prayed it. And by the way, if he prayed it, it will be answered because God's prayers get answered. It's our glory as believers and as intercessors 
to come into agreement and say, you prayed it, we're going to pray it. If it's good enough for you, good enough for us. Now we can put creative language on it. We can spice it up so it doesn't just, it's not just the same rote repetition. The Lord warned about that. But the ideas in here are critical, and that's why he gave them to us. All right. Last introductory comment. What does this mean for us? Like I said, you know, this is something that Jesus prayed. He wanted his disciples to hear it so that they would pray it, but that includes us. Jesus wants us to read this incredible chapter and incorporate it into our prayer life and understand it. You know, Scripture describes Jesus' current ministry in heaven as one of intercession. It may not be the only thing he's doing, but we know what he is doing consistently, perpetually, is he is in some way that is beyond our understanding. He's petitioning and interceding, communicating with his Father about dynamics on the earth. He's praying. And so we can be certain he's praying John 17. I don't know how or, you know, all those dynamics, but this is certainly something he's praying. And if he's praying it, we pray it. And I just feel like when we pray these themes or talk about these themes in John 17, it is like the holy of holies. It's like the Lord says, yes, I want to do that. Now imagine, just imagine this. If you read John 17, kind of get it in your head. Imagine if the church today, the church you went to, or this house of prayer, or the church in America, or the church in the world, looked like the answer to this prayer? What if the church that existed on the earth looked like the answer to John 17? I mean, it'd be incredible. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. But if the church does, and I believe one day we will walk in the answer to this prayer... That will be the time when the whole world is like, that is a genuine, the, the church is legit. The church is, those people love God and we know God is real. We don't know if we want in yet, but that is, they love him and he is real. We can't deny it. That's where it's heading, folks. The, the, where the church is heading is, it can be pictured by the answers to the New Testament prayers, and especially John 17. There is going to be a church that has a revelation of the Father. There's going to be a church that is unified. There's going to be a church that has a profound oneness with God, and it's going to provoke the whole world. It's going to provoke the nations of the earth, and it's going to provoke Israel. It's going to provoke unbelievers, atheists. It's going to provoke them to believe. All right, I'm doing decent on time. Those were some introductory comments. I might touch on those a little bit um, in the weeks to come, but I just wanted to give a high level, this is what John 17 is about, just give a few thoughts. And now I want to get into a little bit of the themes of John 17, 1 through 8, which is the portion we're going to look at tonight. Again, if you have questions that you want me to answer at the end of the message, go ahead and put them in the comments, and I will look at the end. Uh, any questions you have about what I'm sharing or something on your heart, I'll try to answer it. 
Okay. Guys, you're doing great back there. I'm so thankful for my helpers tonight. Caleb, Noah, and Josh, you're with Dad tonight. That's all we would allow in the building. The public is not allowed. So we got Facebook virtually, and then we got the helpers here. You guys doing good? Yeah. All right. Where's Joshy? Okay. Doing great. All right, Joshy, if you want that flashlight, you can get it, buddy. Just don't shine at my eyes, okay? It's right up here in the front. Significant themes in John 17, 1 through 8. Now, here's the thing. We read this prayer... What, what Jesus wants us to do is comprehend these truths and to begin to incorporate them into our worldview. I call this the worldview of prayer. The bigger our worldview is of what God's trying to do, the more prayer makes sense or the more we pray on target, if that makes sense, when we understand there is an overarching plan that Jesus is trying to take the church from here to here, and when the church is here, it's going to look like certain things with certain virtues, then we, we can begin to understand, oh, okay, it's not just that he wants to save souls, he wants to do that, but he wants a church that is unified. He wants a church in the, with the fruit of righteousness, a church that that is deeply loving, first, second commandment. He wants a church moving in all the gifts of the Spirit. There's so many things that as we develop our world, our prayer worldview, our prayers hit the target more. So number one, one of the most significant themes of verses one through eight is the idea of the giving of eternal life. Jesus says in verse 2, he actually is talking in the third person about himself, which is interesting. He says, as you have given him, Jesus, as you, Father, have given him authority over all flesh, that he, Jesus, should give eternal life. Say this, eternal life to as many as you have given him. What I wrote here is, try to ponder the gravity of this. Ponder the gravity of that prayer statement that, that Jesus has the authority. I mean, I think of a person who has a lot of authority. I think of our president has the authority to make decisions. We're seeing in the news, he has the authority to make a $2 trillion decision. Again, working with our government and, and all the related officials, House, Senate, etc. That's massive authority. Uh, there are people who have the authority to close down the state. You know, the governor has authority to affect our life. We're seeing that right now. Jesus has the authority to give or not give eternal life. You have to... You have to Ponder that. This is one of the things Jesus purchased on the cross, or he was going to. He has authority on a spiritual plane that is mind numbing. The realities that he's dealing with are in infinitely weightier than trillions of dollars or a stay at home order, although that's. I mean, that's significant authority to have the ability to say our country needs to do this and have people have to do it. Or our company needs to do this and, our, and then the whole company moves that direction. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in living sinless, dying and being resurrected, now seated at the right hand of the Father, always with us, He has the authority to give to you a life that never ends for all eternity. That is crazy. And he has the authority to deny that if you don't believe in him and follow him, which is crazy. He is so wise and so powerful and has so much authority. In fact, the Father gave Jesus this authority. Again, it's the doctrine of the Trinity. They're all one, but we won't fully understand it till we get there, and then we'll continue to understand it more and more. He has been given this... I just, there's no word for it. He has been given this ability to give. I mean, when, when we first believe in Jesus, he puts in our, you know, quote unquote, checking account of the, the kingdom checking account. He puts in there eternal life taken care of because they believe in me and because they follow me. Just ponder that. That's what he begins to talk to the father about. Father, you gave me the authority to give eternal life. And the guys are sitting there listening to this prayer going, what in the world? Who is this man we started following a couple years ago? That's incredible. Very significant theme to wrestle with. Again, when God prays to God, you would expect some of the weightiest, most towering theological points, and Jesus does not let us down. To, to ponder the implications of someone who can give or not give eternal life is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, to me, that's very, very significant. This life that we live is just one grain of sand on an eternal seashore. If you could see infinitely that direction, infinitely that direction, infinitely that direction, infinitely behind me, our life is equivalent. I'm talking about if you could see infinitely all directions and that was a whole seashore of sand, our life is just one of those grains. He's dealing with something so weighty. And he urges all to repent and believe in him that we would be secure for eternity. Because there's eternal life and there's eternal death. There's no in-between. Now he goes on in verse 3. So he says, I have this authority, and now he defines it for his disciples. Again, he's praying this. He defines what eternal life is. In verse 3, he says, this is eternal life. Again, he's not informing the Father about what eternal life is. It's more because... He's just in the spirit praying and he wants his guys to hear. This is eternal life that they, they, the disciples and us, would know you. That's ultimately what eternal life is about, is us knowing God more and more, both now and for eternity. That's the, that's the thing that Jesus is bringing us into. It's not merely a golden ticket that gets us into heaven. It's, it's this purchasing in to a relationship 
where we get to know this real person who's eternal and infinite at the highest categorical level, and for trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years, we'll get to know him more and more because he's that deep and will never stop. His patience, his judgments, his mercy, his kindness, his scientific knowledge, his how he makes flowers, how he makes it rain, why he made the sun and the moon, infinite knowledge we're going to get to know more and more and more. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they would know you. And Jesus Christ, who was sent by the Father. So again, it's the Trinity. We're going to know the Father, Son, and Spirit. We're going to know all of them more and more and more. And one of the things we're going to understand is how they're one expressed in three. Well, that's just, I don't know if you can get weightier than that. Let me just reiterate, as a follower of Jesus, I mean, I'm talking about the guy who just said yes to Jesus today. That's a follower of Jesus, not someone who just followed him for 50 years. Whether you said yes today or you say yes tonight or you've been in for your whole life since you were a little kid and now you're 100, your eternity and my eternity will be centered around the experience of knowing God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit more fully. We will have a resurrected and glorified body. We'll have a a perfect body with different capacities than we have now. There will be no nerves. There will be no anxiety, depression. There won't be any of these negative feelings. We'll have the perfect body with perfect capacity, and we'll need that to fully experience the Lord. And we're going to live on this earth. Where heaven is right now, the Bible describes that heaven is in the sky And when Jesus returns, he will bring heaven to this earth. And so earth will be renewed, kind of go through a remodeling phase. And we're going to be with God forever right here. We'll be in a body. We'll be in our body. We will have our memories. We will be able to think like we do now, but at the highest, at a far greater capacity. And so some people think of knowing God or eternal life, they think of it so nebulous and so spiritual, they don't think physical. They don't think, I will actually sit in a chair, look directly at God, and out of his mouth will come words that move me. People don't often think of that. But we'll have work to do, we'll have relationships, much like we do now, Just very, it's like the upgraded version. That's an understatement. And... If you want to know more about that, I wrote down here, read the book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I did a study on that for about 12 weeks, a couple years ago. You can get all those notes on the website. Read that book if you want to go deeper in your understanding of what heaven will be like. It's an absolute must read if you want to go deeper on that subject. Number three significant theme. I'm doing decent on time here. The third significant theme is the giving of God glory. The giving glory to God is maybe a better way to say it, by finishing the work that Jesus was supposed to do. So Jesus was supposed to live 30 years anonymously, then three years of ministry, and then finish the work on the cross. 
That was all Jesus' assignment. And because Jesus obeyed, He gave the Father the most glory. And that's significant. Jesus had a work to do, and you have a work to do. And the work you're doing right now is that work. Just stick with it. If the Lord wants you to make a right turn or a left turn and go some other direction, it'll be clear. Just obey right where you're at. Do what you're doing. Follow what you know. Follow the, the track you're on right now as best as you know how. And you'll sense in time, yeah, I should go here, go there. The Lord will make it clear. And it doesn't mean we don't take risks when we're unsure. Life is full of risks and God's in that. Sometimes we take a risk and we're like, eh, that wasn't God. And sometimes we take a risk and, and it was. Uh, but be a risk taker. Uh, le- learn from your mistakes, of course. But there are those moments where we're just sensing, yeah, this is the Lord and we go follow it and the Lord's really in it. Now, that's not to say, let me clear that up. Sometimes we follow the Lord and it's the Lord, but we don't really feel like it because it's hard. Stick with it because it's God. Now, sometimes it's easy and we think, well, this is so easy. It must be the Lord. No, maybe, that's, maybe it's not the Lord. So we'll see. Okay, number four. Now, this is, this is a fun one. Verse five oh, now, uh, says, Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is thinking back. Again, He's fully human. He's fully God, fully man. He fully embraces the experience of being human. So he's not part human. He's fully a human like you and me. Okay? But there was an there was maybe, I, I'm guessing this, you know, you have to say that if it doesn't say it clearly in a Bible verse. There was something Jesus knew about eternity past because he referenced it. Maybe he had these senses of like deja vu, or maybe he kind of had those days where he just something like a memory was like, ah, Father, I knew, I knew I was with you way back then. I can't, can I wrap it up, Dad? Oh, I'll be wrapping it up in 15 minutes. My kids are telling me to stop here. (laughs) Jesus has these memories, or he has these thoughts of what it was like to be with his father before there was ever a natural world or universe. Okay, again, towering theological thoughts here. This is what he's praying. Father, I want to experience that glory I had before the world existed. He's remembering or thinking back or pondering what it was like to be in fellowship with God before the creation, before the universe, before, the, before in Genesis 1, because, because God didn't start in Genesis 1. That's when natural history started. God has existed for eternity before Genesis chapter 1. And so... It's just, again, unthinkable to ponder this. But he says, Father, I want to be with you and experience that thing again 
when we were together before there was any of this. Now, the gospel itself, the gospel story, is so deeply intertwined in these prayers. The satisfaction that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit had with one another for eternity past was 100%. They weren't dissatisfied, so let's go make little pets so that we can have happier days. They were fully satisfied in and of themselves, but there was such love in the Godhead, such love in the heart of the Father, Son, and Spirit. They thought, we want to set in motion a plan that spans thousands and thousands of years and generation after generation where we could make creatures with a free will and a sovereign plan that kind of parallel each other. We want to create a people that is special, that love us voluntarily and experience what we have together for all eternity. So, in other words, they went through the trouble. They didn't have to make us. They didn't have to make... God didn't have to make the natural universe and the world that, you know, we're just a little blip hanging in a vast, endless sky. He didn't have to do this. John 3.16 says He so loved the world. There was so much love in His heart, and there still is, that He went through the trouble, so to speak, to make everything. But he didn't have to, and he was fully satisfied in himself before there was ever a universe, and there was ever an earth, and there was ever planets, which tells you God is even bigger than the universe itself. He made it. God's bigger than space itself. God's bigger than time itself. He's just incomprehensible. And yet he's so vast, and yet he can... He can incarnate into the belly of a young Jewish teenager named Mary and be born of a virgin and come into the world as a, as a crying little baby. The majesty of God and the humility of God both just, they, they beckon us to go, wow, I'm in, I'm, I'm going all the way. This man is incredible. I am 20 years into following Jesus. I'm a satisfied customer. I want to keep going. So he remembers this. Something is in his, in his mind. I want that like I used to have. And he's, he knows he's getting close where he's about to go to the cross and he's going to get back there. And so he's praying, Lord, I want this. couple more points here. Number five. Next theme is he reveals the name of God. Jesus' mission was to reveal the name of God. The name of God is synonymous with the nature or the character of God. So Jesus coming to, to the earth as a humble human being, all he was going to do was exemplify and say things that the Father was exemplifying and saying. So he came to show the planet, his generation, and then successive generations up to us, what, what God's really like. And so in each story we have in the Gospels, we see that's what God's like. 
That's what God says. That's what He does. That's when He, um, you know, He lifts up the woman who is caught in adultery. Everybody wanted to stone her, but He had mercy on her. That's what God's like. So all through the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, Jesus is revealing the name of God, the nature, the character. In other words, Jesus is fully God, but He came on a mission to reveal the Father. And so everything Jesus does, that's what the Father does. Everything Jesus says, that's what the Father says. So we're not going to get to heaven and meet the Father and it's some wildly different person. No, no, no. He's going to be like Jesus and yet our ability to comprehend Him is always diminished, so it's going to be better than we're imagining. The book of Revelation says when we get to heaven and there's going to be tears on our eyes, He will physically reach out His hand and wipe those tears out of our eyes. I just, I mean, I'm, that's going to be cool. That's going to be a great moment. Number six, significant theme in John 17, 1 through 8. This is important. The believing, the receiving, and the keeping of God's word. And he's talking about the disciples now. Verses 7 and 8. They've known that all things which you've given me are from you. For I've given them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have surely known that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. He's talking about his disciples. The reason I want to emphasize this is God is acknowledging these men that started following me a few years ago, who left everything, they really have believed. They really have received what I'm saying. And they are keeping it. He's praying this. And these guys are thinking, praise God. We just got an, ass- an assessment of how we're doing. We, got, we just basically got a performance review, and God says we're doing it. And so this was a significant encouragement. Imagine you're in a room with the most spiritual person you know, and that person's praying, and they're saying, Father, thank you for so-and-so. Man, they're living it. They're doing it. Man, they are, they are dedicated. You're hearing that going, well, okay, I guess I am. These guys are hearing Jesus talk to the Father about them, and He's not rebuking them. He's not saying, Lord, if you would just correct them a little more, if you would just teach them this and that, then they... No, He's saying, Father, they have received it. They have kept it. They're doing it. They believe they're in. And I imagine if I'm in that room listening, man, I just, I'm like, okay, I'm, let's, let's go run through a wall, let's do this. And so they were significantly moved, I believe, by the positive nature of Jesus' prayer. I mean, guys, let's be real. The way Jesus prays and the way the average Christian prays are so light years from one another right now. I mean, today it's rebuke the devil and rebuke that person and it's just crazy how the Lord is up on a level that is so much higher than we're thinking and we got to get our prayer life into his prayer life 
Again, I'm not against rebuking the devil or you know asking for deliverance. Jesus taught us to do that, but the the vast majority of our prayers needs to be positive. It needs to be Godward. It needs to be church focused, discipleship focused. It needs to be along the themes that Jesus prayed about, uh, which is described here and throughout the New Testament. So let's let's pray like Jesus. Let's pray like Jesus. And what I want to end with is this thought. I'm going to be checking to see if we got any questions. Maybe one. I'm going to, again, before I close out here, if you guys, okay, yep. If you have any questions, put them in the comments, and I'll try to get to them. If you have any questions. So as a, as a continuation of, of point number six, and number seven is that tonight, step back, tonight, in a way beyond our ability to grasp, again, right now, Jesus is next to his Father. Jesus tells the Father that you are really doing it. The same way that he prayed for his guys, and we're going to see how he prays for them in the next uh, week, and how he prays for future disciples the week after that. We might even do two messages in there. But just like Jesus was saying to the Father, he's saying, I gave them your words that you gave me, and they've received them, and they They know that I'm from you. They've believed. They're keeping them. That same prayer, he's praying over you. And sometimes what happens is we get so used to the narrative in our brain where we're so hard on ourselves, and we there's that self-loathing, or at the highest end of the spectrum, the self-hatred. We think that voice is God. And so we kind of assume that that's what he's thinking all of the time and that's what everybody else is thinking. But what Jesus is actually not just saying over them, but praying to the Father, he's saying they're really doing it. I know they're weak. They know they're weak. I know they have sins. They know they have sins. But they've really heard. They've really believed I'm from you. And they're in. It's real. He says that about you. If you've said yes to Jesus, again, whether you're a day old in the Lord or five five decades in, Jesus is praying. They've received it. They've done it. They're in, and I love that about them. And so just know that when Jesus is talking to the Father about you, this is the kind of stuff we're dealing with here. He's not saying, Father, send another rebuke to Derek. If only he would get it one day. Maybe we could use him. Angels, what do you think? No, no, he needs another. No, no, no. The Father and the Son are talking to each other like, we know what's going to happen. I mean, we we know everything. We know he's in. We know know he's got faults. Everybody does. But man, he's in. He's he really has. He loves the word. He he cherishes the word. He's in. He says that about you tonight. You got to know this. 
that the prayer life of God over your life is positive in nature and it's uh, affirming in nature. Certainly he wants to bring correction into our life. Certainly he does that, but it doesn't dominate his thinking. The vast majority of his ministry over our life, again, it's a, it's a positive reality. He's, he's wooing and beckoning us closer. And it's like tonight, he wants us to kind of peer into his prayer life and know that he's saying these kinds of things over his church, over uh, his uh, 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 sons and daughters, uh, believers and disciples, all one and the same. Amen and amen. So that's John 17, 1 through 8. Some introductory comments, some significant themes, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 9, probably all the way to verse 19. I'll check that out this week for next Friday. We're going to be doing Facebook Live messages every week for the time being. So from 6 to 7, have a family prayer and worship time. And then from 7 to 8, I'll get in and do a teaching. And I will see if we've got any questions, any questions at all right now. Just go ahead and submit them in the comments section. And I'm going to see if we've got any. I don't think there were any. We've got, uh, glad you can still do this. I pray. Okay, thank you, Ben. We just had a comment. We don't have any questions. So we'll go ahead and we'll end there. It's 8 o'clock, so we end right on time. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, joining with us and bearing with us in this uh, unique time. We're just going to be meeting via technology. Uh, Again, this will be on the website here early this week. And so let me pray in closing. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And I just pray. I pray for a revelation of John 17 would strike our hearts, Lord, all over our city, all over our nation, all over our world, that we would connect with what you're praying. And I pray tonight for those who need encouragement. I pray tonight that they would have a, uh, uh, just their mind would be filled with thoughts of how you see that they're really in and how your prayer life is going to carry them. And uh, in their weakest moments, and in all of our weakest moments, you're praying for us. And you're going to carry us through, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this, God. I pray, Father, that the words I've shared would find uh, good soil on many hearts, Lord. And I pray that you'd continue. Teach us how to pray, Father. Teach us by your Spirit how to be those who, who are strong in our relationship with you. Encourage your people tonight. Deliver us from every evil. Deliver us from any kind of oppression or depression or distress. Uh, Lord, we're in a, a unique time. And I just pray that this would be where many have a pivotal time in their life where they experience you and go for you like never before. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, bless you. And I will see you live uh, for encounter night a week from now and i'll be hopping on to do some devotionals throughout the week stay tuned i'll see you next time